She was ruby red, as ruby red as a piping hot strawberry pie. Her cheeks were flush, her eyes were watery, and her insides were screaming. But it wasn't a strawberry pie in the oven, it wasn't even a bun in the oven, but that's what everybody calls it. No, he was a ten-fingered, ten-toed, three-pound, fourteen-ouncer. And he had cooked so wonderfully for seven months. He cooked so wonderfully for seven months, and by wonderfully, I mean constant car sickness and back pain for mom. But for fear of being singed or overcooked, on February 5th, he decided that seven months was enough. And now, in the aftermath of pregnancy, in the aftermath of an emergency C-section, in the aftermath of nine whole weeks, 63 days in the neonatal intensive care unit, we are home. Ezekiel Fox Kays felt sunshine on his skin for the very first time. He smelled the exhaust of crawling cars on the 101 southbound freeway for the first time. He slept in his very own bed, the legendary Kays bassinet from 1956. His name is under everyone else's name in the family. He slept in that for the very first time. And now, in the aftermath of all of this, we embark on a new journey. A journey full of sleep deprivation, (laughs) rancid diapers, and of course, cuteness overload. Here's a picture of of Zeke on my chest, right here. Ladies, you would love that, right? I actually have a friend whose uh, chest and back looks like that. No offense if that's you. You know, we call him the Persian rug. So that's a real man. Well, he was ruby red. As ruby red as a piping hot strawberry pie. His cheeks were flushed. His eyes were watery. And his insides were screaming, but it wasn't a a strawberry pie in the oven. It was the weight of our sin. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. He lived the life of a servant and died the death of a criminal. But when he rose from the grave... It was death itself that was pierced and crushed and beaten and whipped. And now in the aftermath of his teachings and miracles, in the aftermath of his death and resurrection, in the aftermath of the bestowing of the Holy Spirit upon the believers, we've only just begun. 
In the aftermath of all of this, we embark on a new journey. And that's what this entire Aftermath sermon series is all about. Living for Jesus, that is discipleship after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Last week, Jeff opened up the sermon series talking about lifestyle, how our entire lifestyle changes when we begin to, to, to meet Jesus and encounter Jesus and start to live for Jesus. Our entire lifestyle changes. Well, today we're going to continue with how does that look in a practical sense. We're going to talk about fellowship today. Now, what does that mean? Not fellowship, fellowship with, with an O, belief in and obedience to Jesus at all costs. So if you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand today. And we'll read from our memory verse for this sermon series. We do this to review the Word of God because it's changed my life. I know it's changed the lives of so many people in here today. Because God is behind these words. God is in these words. And through them, His Spirit speaks. During the 40 days after He suffered and died, He appeared to the apostles from time to time. And He proved to them in many ways that He was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So, Lord, we come before you today. And, God, we want to realize in our lives that there is nothing more important than the kingdom of God. There's no pursuit greater than the kingdom of God. There's no higher aim that we could aim for than the kingdom of God. It's your reign and your rule. It's your way of doing things, Lord. So may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Speak to us today, God, we pray, in a really personal way, about what it means to follow you, to be obedient to you, to put our whole hope and trust in you. Help us to be focused today. Lord, I know there's so many distractions in this room, in our lives, in our, in our own heads. I pray that you would quiet our souls today and that we can really hear from you. Take my words that are weak and frail and fragile and use your words to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead, grab a seat. And as you do, uh, open up your Bibles if you brought it, or you've got the green piece of paper that hopefully you received when you walked in through the door, or you can open your Bible app, or you could open the Journey app, which has an ESV translation of the Bible, which is different than what we're using today, or you can also look on the screen. So that's like five ways for us to pay attention to the Word of God today, because that's honestly the most important stuff that you may hear today is the Scripture. That's the most important part of any and every sermon, at least in my opinion, which is right today for the next 30 minutes or so. Thanks for laughing. I'll pay you after or something like that. So here we are in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 57. It says, as Jesus and his disciples traveled along the road. Well, what road are we talking about here? It doesn't specify. Well, if we look back further in chapter 9, we realize that Jesus and company are headed toward Jerusalem. So it's some road on the way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Okay, weirdo. 
just what Jesus needs. A stalker right now. But truth be told, this I will follow you wherever you go, seeming to be a stalker, isn't much of a stalker, but instead, I think we should call this individual would-be disciple number one. In this passage today, we're going to encounter three would-be disciples of Jesus. First of all, what's, what's a disciple? Simply put, a disciple is somebody who follows Jesus. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, till death and then, of course, beyond. Well, also a disciple is someone who exhibits belief in and obedience to Jesus at all costs. Well, why are these three would-be disciples then? Why aren't they just like regular disciples? Why are they potential disciples or would-be disciples Well, we're going to explore that. Let's see. Verse 57 again says, As Jesus and his disciples traveled along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now that sounds noble. That sounds like super Christian. Sounds like a superhuman saint. I will follow you wherever you go. So by your, I will follow you wherever you go, do you mean I will follow you everywhere you go, no matter the cost? By your, I will follow you wherever you go, do you mean I will follow you wherever you go, no matter the timing? Or by your, I will follow you wherever you go, do you mean I will follow you everywhere you go, no matter the terms? Sure sounds like it. I mean, because that's what it sounds like out of your mouth when you say, I will follow you everywhere you go. That's what your lips are saying. But are your heart and mind on board with it? It was about four and a half years ago that uh, the one and only Jeffrey Odell Bonesaw Barnett, one of the pastors here at Journey, also was the best man for, for me. Uh, he planned out our bachelor party, or my bachelor party, I guess. But uh, he uh, had this awesome weekend planned of camping at the beach and surfing. And he even got us tickets to go see Hillsong United at the Hollywood Bowl. Just a fantastic, amazing concert worship experience. Here we were with... 17,499 other people who are singing out these songs of worship, songs that that we play here at church all the time. And then there was one uh, occasion during the concert where they were singing a song, all of us, 17,499 people, were belting out the bridge to a song that we sing here at, at church. And It was this amazing, unforgettable, inspirational Holy Spirit experience as we said these words. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. My faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. And it hit me there, surrounded by 17,499 other voices singing these words. What if we actually believed this? Like, what if we actually lived this out? 
no matter the cost, no matter the timing, no matter the terms, what would it look like if we actually went out and lived out the words that we were actually singing out? I mean, that would change the world. 17,499 people can do it. I mean, Jesus did it with 12. One of them wanted to betray him. The other one denied him. So that makes like 10 and a half. What would it look like if we actually went out and lived out the words we were actually singing out? Or is this just another catchy tune? Just another catchy tune. Is that what this I will follow you wherever you go is to our would-be disciple number one? Just another catchy tune. Another, my heart's not really in its statement that we spout out to sound nice or Christian. Well, I think Jesus really spells it out here, what's going on in verse 58. He says, foxes have dens, and the birds in the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So no one knows what he says, but the fox has a den. Maybe you've seen the YouTube video. What does the fox say? Guess not. First service didn't either, but... uh, Tried and failed again, second service. That's all right. I should take a red pen and cross that one out. But the birds of the sky have nests where they can get a bird's eye view, where they can be boo birds, or where they can just simply talk about the bees. But Jesus, oh, oh wait, that will come to you later. <laughs> this group right here, they're tracking with me up front. These guys are still trying to figure out why is he talking about foxes? Welcome to Journey. Sorry, I shouldn't do this, right? But Jesus here, the Son of Man, has no place to lay his head. No title indeed to a three-bedroom, two-bath with a two-car garage. No, nothing, nada. No place to lay his head. Jesus would be a terrible travel agent. Because he'd just tell you like it is. Yeah, there's no place to lay your head. There's no comfy room with a queen-size bed or a California king with a garden view. No, none of that. There's no place to lay your head. So uh, that's just a taste of what you would experience. Should you really mean that, I will follow you wherever you go. Did you, would-be disciple number one, realize that when you uttered the words, I will follow you wherever you go? Uh, Well, it sounded sleek and sexy as it came out of my mouth, but now that I get a little bit more information, it sounds... uh, Like, I was a little bit hasty. I mean, I was kind of under the impression that this was some sort of all-inclusive resort experience. Well, let's talk about would-be disciple number one. Would-be disciple number one offers to follow Jesus without understanding the cost. In order to engage in fellowship, though, I must understand the cost, and the cost is everything. It's not $19.99, it's everything. For Jesus, the cost was everything, and his road was marked with suffering and with rejection. And therefore, we, in the aftermath of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised that the cost for us, the cost of fellowship, is everything. Suffering and rejection not sold separately, but it's worth it. Verse 59 continues, 
with the second would-be disciple. Then Jesus said to someone else, follow me. He, that is someone else, some other would-be disciple, number two. He replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Wow. I mean, that's, that's pretty serious there. Let me go bury my father? I mean, that sounds like something that would seriously excuse you from this act of following at the moment. I'll never forget, it was a, a friend of mine in college who excused herself from a test one afternoon because her, her grandma had died. I felt for her. I'm like, man, that's so sad. I, I can't. I can't imagine what you're going through right now, experiencing that loss. It was tragic. And I ran into her a couple of days later, and uh, I said, hey, how how you doing? Like, how are you holding up? And she said, uh, great. <laughs> Never better. I said, wow. You sure seem chipper for someone who just lost their grandma. Well, it turns out grandma was alive and well. Grandma was doing great. I thought, man, that's cold. Contemptibly creative, but cold. A cold way of excusing yourself from a simple task. Jesus had said, follow me. And our would-be disciple number two responded, Lord, first let me go bury my father. What's going on here? Is Jesus interrupting a funeral procession? Like you've got the casket and the flowers and everything's going on, eulogies being spoken, and Jesus is like, come follow me. Is that what's happening? Or is this some type of excuse from would-be disciple number two? Oh, follow you, Jesus? Ah, mm, yeah, well, uh, you see, I, I got a thing Oh, I'll use this one. Oh, my dad. My dad. Yeah, he just died. So, well, what's going on here? Is this some sort of a, a interruption or excuse? Whether would-be disciples number two response is shockingly legit, or if it's a, a shocking excuse, what's even more shocking is Jesus' response to would-be disciple number two. Jesus said to him in verse 60, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of God's kingdom. That's cold, Jesus. I mean, aren't you supposed to be the son of God who's full of mercy and grace and peace and love and tenderness? Sounds like you got ice water running through your veins, Jesus. Well, in the first century context in Jewish culture, if you were to go and follow Jesus instead of burying your, your father, you would seriously, seriously dishonor your pops. So what's up with Jesus' seemingly cold-hearted comeback here? Let the dead bury their own dead. Well, there's several options for interpretation that we can look at today to kind of understand what's the meaning of this seemingly cold-hearted comeback of Jesus. We'll call this first option, I don't mean to be blunt, but here Jesus's let the dead bury their own dead comeback could be literal. It could be blunt and abashedly straightforward. 
Because, after all, following Jesus is more important than fulfilling the law when it comes to the duty of proper burial and family obligations. That is, when these conflicted with discipleship responsibilities. So, maybe Jesus is just being blunt. It is what it is. Let the dead bury their dead. Come follow me. Is it just being blunt? I don't know. Or a second option, dig in your own grave. Maybe you've heard that figurative statement before, that you're digging your own grave. It's a statement about you're being responsible for your own downfall. Well, perhaps Jesus's let the dead bury their own dead comeback is also figurative, meaning let the spiritually dead bury the dead or step out of death into spiritual life. Or third option that I think is probably the coolest one, I think it's the best one, is what I call dead men tell no tales. Recent research uh, suggests that burial customs in the vicinity of Jerusalem from like 20 B.C. to 70 A.D., time when Jesus was here in, in Jerusalem, involved a reinterment uh, or a reburial of the bones about a year after the initial burial. Basically, once the flesh had rotted away at that point, the son would have placed his father's bones in a box and then in a tomb in the wall. So Jesus's let the dead bury their own dead comeback could very well be a rebuke toward the man for wanting to wait as long as a year before making a decision to, to be committed. Come on. So whether it's about being blunt, figurative, or taking time to stack bones in a box, the most important priority is, as Jesus had already said, go and spread the news of God's kingdom. But let's talk about would-be disciple number two and what they do. They delay in following Jesus. In order to engage in fellowship, I must understand the timing. And that timing is right now. We in the aftermath of the death and resurrection of Jesus should not be surprised at the timing of fellowship. It's immediate because there's no time like the present. It's all we've got. The time, the time is now. I'm a sucker for like history and stuff. It makes me weird. I know a lot of people don't like history. They think it's super boring. Uh, but I'm a sucker for it. I just finished a couple months ago a, a long video series about World War II. It's called World War II in Color. And uh, it put my wife Tara to sleep. And so I would watch this while I was on like the stationary bike or treadmill at the gym. And, and I was so fascinated by this 13-episode uh, series, World War II in Color, it went through all the stages of, of the war, but in vivid color and in HD quality, you could see the massive destruction of war. And I think about how in the world did these people rebuild after this massive destruction? How did they put the pieces of their, their jobs or their homes or their lives back together? How did they rebuild? And I think it's just brick by brick. Brick by brick, brick by brick. Somebody had to go grab a shovel. Someone had to wheel up a wheelbarrow. And somebody had to say, the time is now. The same goes 
with fellowship. The time is now. Now, in verse 61, someone else said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say goodbye to those in my house. So just like would-be disciple number one, would-be disciple number three here thinks that following Jesus is about following Jesus on their own terms. As if it were like some career path that they were setting out for themselves. Like, oh yeah, I'm majoring in biology because I want to be involved in pre-med and then go to med school and then I will get a job in cardiology or something. But Jesus would say, great. But listen, Listen, Linda, listen. I didn't tell that joke first service because I didn't think it would go over well, but thank you. Listen, Linda, that's not how it works. That's not how it works with fellowship. It's not a career path that you lay out for yourself. It's not a bunch of tests that you complete and then all of a sudden that you are a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, whatever it may be. That's not how it works. Followership isn't a career path. But would-be disciple number three is bold enough to make it on their own terms. I will follow you, Lord. But unfortunately, they prove to be hopelessly inconsistent. Because check it out, they declare, I will follow you, Lord. But in the same breath, they put up a wall between themselves and Jesus as they continue. But first, but first, let me say goodbye to those in my house. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to follow you, but first, let me, let me go do this. How, How often do we do that with sin? Like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like, really like, read my Bible and pray and do the whole Christian thing. I'll serve at church. I may even give. But uh, first, I'm just going to like, partake in this sin, you know? Because on Sunday, I'll get cleaned up, or on Wednesday, I'll get cleaned up, or whatever it may be. You know, and so what? Why, why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we live lives that are hopelessly inconsistent? Yeah, 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 I'll follow you, but first. But first, let me indulge in this. No, man. It's terrible. Would-be disciple, number three, wants to follow. But they feel like it has to be on their own terms. But that's not fellowship. Discipleship there is no longer discipleship. Would-be disciple number three, let's talk about this person. They offer to follow Jesus without understanding the terms. But in order to engage in fellowship, I must understand the terms and understand that they are not mine. They're not my terms. We, in the aftermath of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we should not be surprised that the terms of fellowship, they don't belong to us. They belong to Jesus and the kingdom of God. As Jesus puts it plainly in in verse 62, Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand on the plow and looks back is fit for God's kingdom. We, We can't plow straight ahead toward a goal while looking back. We can't follow, not follow. That's called not following. That's called not fellowship. But the only right and proper way is quite literally to go with Jesus. 
To go with Jesus, understanding that the cost is everything. The timing is now, and the terms are not my own. Well, that doesn't really sound so safe. I mean, you don't have any control over anything? Like, you don't have the final word? (laughs) That sounds awfully risky. Well, what's the other alternative? Do life on my own terms? But how many of us has Jesus plucked from the destructive aftermath of doing life on our own terms? In our passage today, We've seen how Jesus interacts with three would-be disciples, three would-be followers who would have followed Jesus for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death, and of course beyond. But something got in the way. Something got in the way. Something was preventing them from doing that. Maybe it was the cost. Maybe it was the timing, or maybe it was the terms. Maybe it was the cares and the concerns, the worries. I know there's a lot of hang-ups that keep us from following Jesus. Or we half-heartedly follow Jesus. Or we sometimes follow Jesus. But that's not fellowship. That's not discipleship. It doesn't work that way. To go with Jesus, understanding the cost, it's everything. Understanding the timing that is now and understanding the terms are not my own. It takes a lot of belief. It takes a lot of belief and a lot of obedience. That's what fellowship is about. And I think that that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German pastor and theologian, the, the martyr during World War II, I think he put it best. Only the one who believes is obedient, and only the one who is obedient believes. Don't zone out on me. I know you're like bored right now. I can see it in your eyes. But this is like the most, second most important part. First we got Scripture, and then we got Bonhoeffer. And every time you talk about Bonhoeffer, it's like, oh, man, it's like just below the Trinity right here. But only the one who believes is obedient. So belief and obedience goes hand in hand? Yeah, of course. And only one who's obedient believes. So if, I don't know, you figure it out. Figure it out in your own life, right? Fellowship is about belief and obedience at all costs. Belief in and obedience to Jesus at all costs. And I think we've got fellowship all wrong in our culture today. We open up our phone, we open up an app, and we click follow. We follow all sorts of things. Like take, for instance, on Instagram. We open it up and we begin to follow the at Dustin AA Anderson, the dapper male model, ex-backyard wrestling champion of the world, or just Fillmore. Right there, we follow him. Right, we 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 like that picture, wedding selfie, and Alyssa, Jeff's, and Liz's daughter, cuties, forty-four likes. That's pretty good. You're popular, bro. Man. So we follow friends, or we follow companies like the environmentally conscious Patagonia. Here is Ian Walsh barreling down a, a huge wave in Maui at Piaui Challenge Jaws. Any time I get an opportunity to put surfing in a a sermon. I will. Just an awesome picture right there. So we follow that. We like that. It has a bunch, right? It has a a lot of of comments. Uh, Whoa, 37,126 likes. Or we follow sports news like MLB Jesus on Twitter. 
He says, someone please tell the umpire that thou shalt not have a strike zone the size of an Escalade. This is referring to the World Series last year when it was rigged. Or we follow good old Christian memes like the satirical Babylonian bee. Hershey's replaces kisses with more pure side hugs for Christian market. Hershey's side hugs, milk chocolate. Or one more for good, good measure. How about the best Christian memes? Me before reading the book of Proverbs versus me after reading Proverbs. <laughs> if you don't know who that is, that's Jim Carrey. We have on the left, Dumb and Dumber, and on the right, we have Bruce Almighty. But this brand of follow is, is simply a mere like and observe. That's all it is. Like and observe. You could have six million followers on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, you know, but those people are just liking and observing. You could follow six million people, but all you're doing is liking and observing, but you can't do that with Jesus. You can like and observe Jesus, I guess, but that's not fellowship. That's not following Jesus. Fellowship is about belief and obedience at all costs. But what does that look like? What does that look like in a practical sense in my life today, 2018? How can I follow Jesus? Now, I can give you the same line that we give you like every week. Read your Bible, pray, go to church, get involved in a small group, have an accountability partner, worship, get involved in all the areas. And that's great. And we need to do that. We definitely do because that changes our lives. And it changes the lives of people around us too. But today, I just want you to hear from Jesus. I just want you to hear from Jesus what he said to, to his disciples earlier in Luke 9. I want you to just close your eyes. And hear these words from Jesus. Jesus said to everyone, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves. Take up their cross daily and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will save them. All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, that is to be ready to give up ease and comfort. Take up their cross daily in the willingness to bear suffering every day and follow me. Understanding that the cost is everything, the time is now and the terms are not my own. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will save them. What's preventing you from following Jesus? Like completely, wholeheartedly. What's stopping you? I know in my own life there's all sorts of things that can be hang-ups, can stop, busyness. Sometimes, you know, you go through the day and you just 
man, I didn't even think about God. I didn't even read the Bible or pray or anything like that. And here I am just going on my own, doing life on my own terms. Yeah, I, I want to have a, a faith that is more than like behavior, political opinions, or a set of beliefs, practices, things that you just do. I want to have like a real relationship with Jesus. And that sounds strange, right? To have a relationship with someone who like walked the earth 2,000 years ago. Like your friends must think you're crazy. Like, oh yeah, I'm worshiping Jesus. I'm spending, like, what, what about Jesus? I thought he died years and years ago, but no, he's alive. He's alive and he's changing lives. You know? And how can we bottle that up and, and refuse to live it out? How can we just be content sitting in these chairs and not going and spreading that message and loving people. And I, I'm telling you, we could get up here and just harp on you and harp on you about how you're not doing this, you're not doing that. But I know that you are. I know that this church and these people in these chairs are doing great and amazing things. And we, we aren't 17,499 people. But we are a select group of people, a small group of people and I think we can do amazing things. If we were truly serious about living this out, about truly following Jesus right now, on his terms and at all costs, I know that our community could be changed. I know that the darkness will flee when we step outside and we share that light and we actually live out the calling that he has placed on our hearts to be the light of the world. And it's very simple. We love people. We love people. And we talk about God. And we thank God. And there may be days we go through and we wow, man, I was so busy with all the things. Let's slow down, though. Let's get rid of the distractions and pause for a moment. Start the day off right. Engage in real relationships with people. Don't be too busy. Take time. For I believe that if Jesus gave his all for us, how could I only give him half my heart? Let's give him everything. Let's have a conversation here with Jesus in closing. Jesus, how can I follow you? How in my life can I follow you? What are the areas in my life where I'm not following you, Jesus? How am I holding back? Where do I need to step into a new place today? God, I pray that you would remind us that there is nothing more important than the kingdom of God. All the little things that we thought were so important and so critical. There's nothing more important than this moment right now. And it's not because I'm speaking. It's not because we're here at church, but it's because the presence of God is here. 
And Lord, there's so many things that we could be doing and that we're thinking about right now. Maybe, maybe someone has to, has to go somewhere. Maybe somebody has to go eat or they, they've got an appointment or they have to go to the bathroom. Whatever it is, God, I know that, that there's so many distractions that just pull us away, but help us just to stay in this moment to make real commitment to you. I pray, Lord, if someone wants to experience you for the first time today, if they want to follow you for the first time, they would pray, Jesus, come into my heart. Because I believe that you died on the cross. You gave everything. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. And be my king because you rose from the grave. You defeated death once and for all. So help me to follow you. Holy Spirit, guide me as I follow you all the days of my life on your terms. Right now. And at all costs. We love you and we praise you. Amen.